0: 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And we're going to read these verses together out loud as a church. And so, let's read with some enthusiasm here. Okay, verse 3. Ready? Here we go. "...For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." Well, I've entitled my sermon this morning just simply this, Jesus Saves. And we're going to talk about how that the salvation Jesus offers is not just a generic, broad-sweeping salvation. It's meant to be personal for me and personal for you. And so we know that Jesus saves, but the question this morning is this, has Jesus saved you? Has He saved you? And if you don't know that, we want to help you to know that before you leave uh, this auditorium this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what we've already seen and heard and experienced. And Lord, my heart has been stirred to tears as I watched and uh, the video and heard the choir sing and uh, the specials that were sung. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you came and lived and died and rose again from the dead on our behalf. Help each one here this morning to understand what that means for them personally. And Lord, may many decisions be made for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, through song and through drama, we have gotten a small glimpse of what it may have been like to walk on uh, planet Earth alongside Jesus Christ. Through video, we saw how Jesus cares. We saw how he healed the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda. Imagine being that man, your legs being crippled for years, if not your whole life. And then Jesus comes along, and in an instant, you're made whole. We saw how Jesus loves Remember the lady who was divorced five times, living with a man, and social reject, no one wanted to have anything to do with her, and, and Jesus took the time to care for her and offer her living water. We saw how Jesus loves. We saw through video how Jesus lives when Jesus took Peter, Peter who he had poured three years of his life training and preparing, and then Peter blew it in one evening, denying Christ three times, and Jesus restored Peter back to service. For the heavenly kingdom. It is special to relive the ministry of Christ and see how that he touched so many of the people that lived alongside of him. Uh, Did you know that Jesus wants to touch your life? Did, Did you know that Jesus wants to personally reach down and change you? This morning I'd like for us to consider that Jesus not only cared about the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda, but he also cares for you. And that Jesus not only loved the socially rejected sinful woman at the well, but he also loves you personally. Um, And that Jesus not only lives for Peter, who had denied Christ, but that he lives for you. And that Jesus not only came to save sinners broadly, Jesus wants to save you. He wants to save or rescue you from the damnation that is brought upon you by all of the sins that you have committed. He wants to save you from an eternity in hell. He wants to save you to an eternity with Him in heaven. Um, He wants to wash away your sins, cancel your crimes. He wants to bury them in the deepest sea, throw them behind His back, and cast them as far as the east is. From the West. He wants to adopt you into his family, give you a real reason to live. He wants to take away your religiosity and he wants to replace it with a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Scripture is abundantly clear that salvation is a gift and that this gift cannot be earned. How silly would it be at Christmas time, parents, for you to put a gift under the tree for your children or maybe for a spouse or a loved one, and they sit there and say, well, I'm not going to pick the gift up under the tree until you let me pay you for it. You'd say, no, that's not how it works. I pay for the gift. I give you the gift. You just simply receive the gift, and salvation into heaven is the same way. Romans chapter 6 Verse 23 says this, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Read the highlighted part there with me, will you? But the gift of God. Ready? Let me hear you now. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice the Bible says that eternal life is through or paid by Jesus Christ and that eternal life is a gift. It is a gift and a gift is not Paid for, a gift is just simply received with no strings attached. Scripture is clear that you cannot pay for this gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And when again, when we get to the highlighted words, read them with me. Ready? For by grace are ye saved through faith. Ready? Here we go. And that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, here we go, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice that salvation is a gift of God, it is not of works, it is not of yourself. This is a gift that cannot be earned, it cannot be paid for, it's not earned through righteousness or religion, it is a gift purchased by the death of God of Christ on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 words it this way, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but notice that contrast. According to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Please understand that Jesus cannot save you until you admit that you are lost. Now, I want us all to imagine for a moment that uh, you are in a uh, in the, in the back seat of a car and you're going on a road trip and the driver is an old grandpa who's against technology. All right. And this old grandpa is stubborn and self will notice I picked a male to describe stubborn and self will. how many of you ladies believe that men can be stubborn and self will let me hear you say amen. That's what I thought. All right. And so you have a stubborn old man who just refuses to use a GPS. And uh, he's going on a long road trip. And lo and behold, he gets off track and and, and he ends up on some rural street and and then further down. And and the longer he drives, the more lost he gets. And you're reading his body language and he's not indicating that he's lost, but you know that he's lost. And you say to him, you say, hey, um, I've got a a smartphone back here, and, and I can get us out of here, if you'll so let me. And he says, get that technology out of here. I'm not lost. I'm not lost. And you drive, and you drive, and you drive. And you know what? Until he is willing to humble himself in front of everyone in that car, and admit that he's lost, and either stop and ask for directions, or ask you for directions, he's going to continue to be lost. You all with me this morning? Now listen, if you're depending on your righteousness or your religion to get you into heaven, what you don't realize or what you need to realize is that you are lost. You are lost. And Jesus cannot save you, show you the way to heaven until you admit just how lost you are. Uh, many people wander through life, doing their best to earn God's favor. They think that because they were, they were, or are religious, that they are automatically on their way to heaven. They went through some spiritual ritual as a child or or, or young person, and, and they think somehow because of that they're on their way to heaven. Some people that believe uh, that they are morally good, that somehow God is going to let them in, my friend. If you believe that you are lost. Uh, it is now time for you to admit it, humble your heart, and let Jesus be your Savior. Uh, it's not you that gets in you into heaven. Let me say it again. It's not you that gets you into heaven. It's not you and Jesus that get you into heaven. Watch this now. It's Jesus that gets you into heaven. And it's only Jesus that gets you into heaven. We play no part, just like a child on Christmas morning played no part in earning those gifts. Uh, they just simply receive, receive. And we play no part. You see, the, the the price was paid when Jesus died on the cross and He suffered in our place and now the gift is freely offered, not by works ...of righteousness, Titus 3 says. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. You can't earn it. Scripture couldn't be any more clear, but according to His mercy through the cross... He hath saved us. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So I'd like to give you three thoughts this morning about this idea of Jesus saves. If you received a bulletin on your way in, on the back of that bulletin, I'm speaking to the visitors here, you'll find a fill-in-the-blank outline. And if you got a gift on your, uh, a moment ago, then you have a pen. I encourage you to take that pen and fill in the blanks as we go here. And so if you have questions later or want to dive into this later yourself... You're so able to do that. All right, let's jump in here. Notice three thoughts. Number one, the purpose of Christ's death. The purpose of Christ's death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, where we began this morning, tells us why Jesus died. Look at verse 3 with me there. It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul says I'm a messenger, and here's the message I'm giving you, how that Christ died. Read those next three words with me. Ready? For our sins. Again, For our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Why? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 3, why did Christ die? Well, verse 3 says He died for our sins. I find that generically people put themselves into one of two camps. Some people are honest with themselves and they know that they've committed such horrible sins that uh, they're on their way to hell. Occasionally, I'll meet someone and I'll say, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? And they'll look at me and say, I know I'm not going to heaven when I die. I've done so much evil in my life. I'm certain I will go to hell. I've met a lot of people that way, but the overwhelming majority of people fall into the second group. And here's what they say. I ask them, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? And their answer is, I believe I am. I believe I've been a morally good person. I have lived a morally clean life. Someone may say, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I would push back on that and ask you this. You're good compared to who? You're good compared to who? Now, you may be good compared to me. You may be good compared to some criminal in prison. You may be good to someone who's committed some horrible atrocity. But are you good compared to Jesus? Are you good compared to Christ? And if we're all honest with ourselves, the answer is, no, we're not. No, we're not. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, I asked someone one time, I said, are you going to heaven? And they said, I think so. And I said, well, what does it take for a person to get to heaven? And here's what they said to me. They said, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. And so I asked them this question. I said, can you name for me the Ten Commandments? And they got all nervous and said, no. And I said, well, I mean, if that's how you get in, don't you think you should know the Ten Commandments? I said, can you name any of the Ten Commandments. And they said, well, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. And I said, oh, have you ever done those things? Well, no. I said, isn't it interesting? You name the ones that you've not broken. All right. But what about the ones we have broken? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Which means thou shalt not lie. All right, now, we, we've all lied. I'm just going to speak for all of us in the room here. We've, I, I'm safe to do that, I believe. We've all lied. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, If you've broken one point of the law, you've broken the whole thing. I heard someone describe this verse one time as a chain with ten links. And a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And if you've broken even one of the commandments, you've broken the whole law. You see, the problem here is that we really aren't very good. We really aren't very good. Jesus came to earth and Jesus lived a perfect life so that he would qualify himself to die for our sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us that Christ knew no sin. Um, He was God's on earth. He could do no wrong. Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us that He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, Jesus never one time looked with lust. He never one time lied. He never one time stole. He never one time coveted. He never one time uh, made Himself a graven image. Uh, Jesus was perfect. In every way, the reality is that us compared to him, there is none here that are good. There's only one good that has ever walked the earth. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He was God wrapped in flesh. He's the Messiah, the Christ. He is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. We're talking about the purpose of of Christ's death. Look with me at Romans chapter 5 and verses 6, 7, and 8. And again, when we get to the highlighted uh, parts of the verses, please read them with me. Ready? And read them with some enthusiasm. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, or God proved his love toward us, In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Back in our text, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says, Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins. Now let me ask you this question. If you could get to heaven by being a good person, then why did Jesus have to come and die for your sins? Why did he have to leave heaven and come to earth and be beaten and bludgeoned? Listen, what we saw on the screen a few minutes ago, that was a PG rendering of what really happened to Jesus. you understand that? First, uh, Isaiah chapter 53 says he looked like a worm. You couldn't even tell if that was a man or a worm hanging up there on that cross. He was so beaten and And bludgeoned, and if not to make matters worse, God looked ahead in time and he saw your life. He saw my life. And God took all of the sins that we would ever commit in our lifetimes, and collectively for all of humanity, he took those sins and laid them on Jesus. Boy, if being a good person gets me into heaven, then why did Jesus have to die for my sins on the cross? Maybe being a good person isn't really what gets me into heaven. You see, Christ died for our sins. That's the purpose of Christ's death. Number two, notice the power of Christ's resurrection. The power of Christ's resurrection. When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, there were those within the church who questioned the legitimacy of Christ's resurrection. Some argued that whether or not he rose from the dead... It didn't even really matter, but Paul makes it very clear that the resurrection of Christ from the dead really does matter. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read from verse 12 down through verse 20. Now, this will be the lengthiest passage that we read this morning, but I believe it's important, uh, this being uh, Resurrection Sunday, that we see the importance of Christ's resurrection. So, read along with me and hang in here with me for a few minutes. The Bible says, Now, if Christ be preached... That he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Uh, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up. "...Christ, whom he hath raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept." Paul says here, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then there, are no, there can be no resurrection of our soul to heaven. You understand the importance of Jesus raising from the dead? If He had not raised from the dead, then there cannot be a resurrection of our souls because our Savior is still in the grave. He, Paul said, if Christ did not raise from the dead, our entire faith is a waste of time. Uh, uh, he said, if Christ did not raise from the dead then once we die, we can do nothing but perish. If Christ be not raised from the dead, then of all the people on the earth, those who believe in Jesus are the most miserable on planet earth. You understand that in his death, listen now, in his death, he suffered and became your sin. But in His resurrection, He defeated your sin. In His resurrection, He stood up and said, Yes, the sin of all mankind put me in the grave, but it couldn't keep me there. Up from the grave, He arose with a mighty triumph for His foes. My sin put Jesus in the grave, but Jesus stood up from the grave and said, I am greater than the sin of all of humanity combined. In His resurrection, He proved Himself true. During His earthly ministry, Jesus called Himself the way, the truth, and the life. And In John 11, uh, verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, He said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Hear me this morning, every great leader of every man-made religion that has died did not raise again from the dead. Their power ended when their life ended, but Jesus' power began when He died. Because there, three days later, He stood up from the dead and proved that He is greater than even the greatest force that holds down man in death. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel lost and need a new start. Jesus offers you that new start once you turn to Him for salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Read it out loud with me. Ready? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Boy, doesn't that sound great? Becoming a new creature, a new person. Uh, having the old taken away. The struggles taken away, the, the, the bondage to sin taken away, and reaching new heights because Christ has made you born again. He's made you a new creature in Him. You see, all of that is made possible because the grave of Jesus, the tomb of Jesus is empty. He's alive forevermore. We see the purpose of Christ's death, the power of Christ's resurrection. Number three, and lastly, notice the pardon. Christ offers, the pardon Christ offers. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verses 21 and 22. The Bible says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Look here. For as in Adam, he's the one that ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden that put us all under the sin curse. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What's this saying? This is saying that Adam and his choice, the first man, Eve, the first woman, through their choice of sin, they brought death upon all of us. Can I tell you that all of us one day are going to die? Now, that's not pleasant to think about. Uh, As a preacher, I do my share of funerals, and I sit, I stand behind this pulpit uh, when they're done here, and. And oftentimes I'll have a casket or I'll have a uh, memorial, uh, some kind of an urn with ash in it. And, and there is the, the, the body or the ashes of someone who's deceased and sitting out in the audience are the loved ones. And I look in the eyes of people who are grieving and we're all reminded in those moments. Everyone here has attended a funeral at some point, I would assume. You're reminded in that moment that your turn is coming and my turn is coming. Can I tell you why we all die? We all die. We're all one day going to have a death date on a tombstone or a death date recorded somewhere. We're all going to have that because we're sinners. Because sin brings death. And what is Paul saying here? He's saying that Adam brought death, but Christ brings life. Christ brings life. Now listen, there's nothing we can do to avoid or escape earthly death, but there is something you can do to avoid eternal death and hell. Uh, There is something you can do to know that your sins are forgiven. Christ offers you a pardon. He offers you a way out of hell. Let me give you simply four things that you need to understand to know how to take the death of Christ on the cross and make it personal. I take full advantage of what Jesus did up there on the cross. Letter A, notice, we are all sinners. We are all sinners. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says here, As it is written, there is none, none righteous, no, not one. Um, It can't be made any more clear than that, can it? None righteous, no, not one. We all are the same way. We all want to put our best foot forward, right? I'm looking out at a bunch of people who it's very obvious, every one of you stood in front of a mirror before you came to church this morning, amen? And i got to say, I'm thankful for that. Um, how many of you, well, all of us here didn't look quite as good when we rolled out of bed this morning, did we? Hair sticking up here, and you know, stinky breath, and, and uh, ladies, a lot of you ladies put on makeup, and a lot of us men, I'm thankful we don't wear makeup, but with men, we're so ugly. There's just no covering that up. Amen? No matter how hard we try. But we get out of bed and we look in a mirror and and we get ourselves ready. We put on our our, our Easter best and we show up to church and we want to put our best foot forward and we'll go through life trying to sell everyone on the idea that I'm really better than I actually am. And I do it and you do it and we want people to think the best of us. You can say, well, I'm an open book. Uh, You get what you see. But all of us, no, no No one in here shares their most innermost thoughts. Everyone in here hides some things from everybody. Everyone. Everyone. And the reality is if we quit looking at ourselves through the lens of, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Can we just be honest for a moment? There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.12 words it this way. Uh, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. Look here. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. None that doeth good. God is a perfect balance of mercy and truth. Many people want to focus on the mercy of God. Few want to focus on His justice. One day, hear what I'm about to say loud and clear. One day, you and I will stand before God one-on-one, mano mano Your husband won't be there. Your wife won't be there. Your parents won't be there. Your children won't be there. Your best friend won't be there. Your pastor, your priest, uh, your, your, your imam, or whatever title of religious leader you want to ascribe won't be there. It will be you and God. You and God. And the books of your life will be brought out and they'll be opened and every sin you've committed uh, will be laid out there. And the declaration before a holy, just, perfect God will be made. You are a sinner and nobody will be able to spin it any other direction. We're all sinners. Letter B, we are all sentenced. We are all Sentence. Now, the book of Revelation lays out for us the events that have yet to happen. And the book of Revelation ends by telling us about a judgment that will take place where the quick and the dead are brought before God. Those that were on the earth, those that were in the earth or in hell, and those that were in the sea, they'll all be gathered together and brought before God one at a time. And one person at a time will have their day in court before Almighty God. And uh, the sin records will be laid out. And then after the sin records will come the sentencing. We find that in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. Look there, it says, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. Let me pause right there. Everybody look up here in a moment. You may not be abominable. You may not be a murderer. You may not be a whoremongerer. Right, but look at the next one. And all liars. Now, when I was a boy, I'm the oldest of seven kids. When I was a boy, we were really hard on each other. And we would really hold each other accountable. When, when somebody did something wrong, we'd call them out on it. I've got two kids of my own. They do that to each other. I've heard my son look at my daughter and say, You're a liar. My daughter looks at my son and says, looks at her brother and says, Whatever, you lie too. See, you're a liar too. Nobody likes to be called a liar. Right in Spanish, is mentiroso. it's mentiroso. It's a little less serious. But in English, that's a hard-hitting term. You're a liar. And if I were to stand up here this morning and just rear back and say, you're all a bunch of stinking liars, you'd say, man, what's wrong with him? How many murders do you have to commit to be a murderer? One. How many lies do you have to commit to be a liar? All right, let's go through an exercise here. How many of you have ever told a lie in your life? Would you hold up your hand? Hold them up. All right, if your hand's not up, you're lying right now. (laughs) Aren't you? Everyone has lied. All right, we all fit inside this verse, don't we? Most of us fit in there in more ways than just the liar. Alright, let's look at the rest of the verse. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. What place burns with fire and brimstone? That's hell. The verse says, which is the second death. This is that eternal death in hell. I want you to imagine that it's you and God alone in a courtroom... God is sitting up where the judge sits. He's got a white robe on. The evidence has been presented before God the judge. And He is both judge and jury. And God comes back and says, Guilty of sin. I find you guilty of sin. The courtroom clears. Now it's time for the sentencing. You and the judge are alone. The judge picks up his gavel in his hand. And he looks at you and he says, The wages... The price tag, the paycheck, the sentence of your sin is death in hell. He holds the gavel high. He gets ready to bring it down and pound it. Your heart begins to to beat heavy in your chest. You know that you've been sentenced to hell. Letter C. We see Christ became our sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4 says for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the 3rd day according to the Scriptures. There you are in that courtroom. The gavel is held high. It's getting ready to come down. The angels are going to grab you by the shoulders and drag you over to the portal of eternity and toss your soul into eternal fire. And all of a sudden, the back door of the courtroom comes flying open and in the courtroom steps the Son of the Judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He says, Wait! Hold on! Hold on, Father! I know that You're just! I know that You have to punish sin! but I also know that you love Him. I know that you love her. Don't bring the gavel down. I'll tell you what, I'll go and I'll become the sacrifice. I'll go and I'll hang on a cross. I'll go and become His sin. I'll go and die in her place. Why did Jesus come to earth? Because you and I were on our way to a devil's hell. And Jesus came and He became our sin on the cross. He suffered our death in our place. He became our substitution. He became our sacrifice. Jesus has stepped in to save the day. He has stepped in to save your eternity. He has stepped in to save your soul. So how do you make this personal? God only requires one thing of you in order to get into heaven and have your sins forgiven and your eternal court case dismissed. He requires your faith in the one who died and rose from the dead for you. Letter D, lastly notice believe unto salvation. We've seen that we're all sinners. We've seen that uh, we deserve to be sentenced. We've seen Christ became our sacrifice. And now we see that we need to believe unto salvation. Romans 10.13 says this. It says, "...for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." shall be rescued. The title of the sermon this morning, Jesus saves. How does He save us? The answer is right here, Romans 10.13. Look carefully, for whosoever. Notice that word whosoever means anybody. It does not matter what country you're born in, uh, what kind of money you make. It does not matter what the color of your skin is. It does not matter uh, whether you're accepted or rejected by society. If you are a human being, created in the image and likeness of God, and you've got air being, breathing in and out of your lungs, then you fit under whosoever. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. You know what that is? That's not a dial 1-800-HEAVEN. That's a I'm drowning in my sin and I need Jesus to come and rescue me from my sin. The one who lived, died, and rose again for me on the cross. You see, the judge of the universe is looking squarely at you right now. And he wants to know one thing. There you are in his courtroom. His son is standing behind you with wounds in his hands and his feet. He's already died on the cross. The judge of heaven wants to know one thing. Do you want him to be your sacrifice? Or do you want me to send you to hell? You have a choice. Well, yeah, but I'm religious. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but I'm righteous. I'm a good person. No, you're not. Stop fooling us. Stop fooling yourself. Jesus paid the price. It's not a question of did He do it. It's a question of do you believe that He did it. Are you willing to lay down your pride and humbly accept what He did up there on the cross? Acts chapter 16 verse 31 words it this way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, uh, 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 be a good person and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say, hold a religious denomination card, and then thou shalt be saved. Listen, I want you to hear me loud and clear. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a Baptist. No one gets to heaven by being a Baptist, a Presbyterian, an Episcopal, a Congregationalist, a Catholic, a Pre- whatever, Methodist. You only get to heaven by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture could not be more clear. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. His mercy, he hath saved us. He saved us. Believe unto salvation. I finished with an illustration. During the Spanish-American War on the island of Cuba, Teddy Roosevelt led his Rough Rider Brigade into battle, and his soldiers became wounded and tired and and, hungry, and they needed supplies. And so he found a place for them to rest. And lo and behold, just across the hill, uh, there was a place of supplies for American troops. And so Teddy Roosevelt mounted his horse and rode over the hill and came up to the tents that were established there and walked up to a lady there who provided uh, the, the supplies. And he pulled out a big a gaudy wad of cash out of his wallet and slapped it down on the table and said, I, I assume this will be enough to, to buy supplies and and food for my men and the lady looked at him and said I'm sorry sir but what we have is not for sale and he looked at her and said but ma'am you don't understand I've got soldiers running on the side of that hill they're starving they're hungry they're wounded they need uh, the supplies you have the supplies I'm giving you money is my money not enough and the lady looked at him and said sir maybe you didn't hear me the supplies are not for sale Mr. Roosevelt got aggravated and his aggravation turned to anger and he got more and more upset and in a rage and finally the lady turned around and walked away and lo and behold the founder of the American Red Cross, Clara Barton, walked up to him and said, sir, can I help you? And he said, well, my name is Teddy Roosevelt and I'm trying to buy supplies for my men on the other side of the hill and she looked at him and very calmly smiled and said, one thing you don't understand is that These supplies are not for sale because they're free. Oh. They're free. That money is no good here. Put that back in your pocket. If you'll kindly ask the lady you are belligerent to for what you need, we'll gladly load your horses and off you can go. Mr. Roosevelt had to take a step back. Collect himself, apologize to the lady. I need this, 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 and this. And they were free. Off he went. Hear me out. Some of you need to take the wad of religiosity, the cash of righteousness, self-righteousness, and you need to put it back in your pocket. That currency is no good in heaven. What the Lord is looking for is your faith. And if you'll simply humble your heart and ask Him to give you the gift of eternal life, you can have it right here, right now. You see, when I was just a small child, I understood these truths. And I bowed my head and I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve to go to hell when I die. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Give me the gift of eternal life. My faith is in you alone. And you know what? That day I prayed a prayer similar to that. Something very special happened in my life. An angel in heaven opened up a book called the Lamb's Book of Life and wrote my name in it. I'm here to tell you today, I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm a pastor. I'm not going to heaven because I visit people in the hospital when they're sick or check up people when they're, check on people when they're having a hard time. I'm not going to heaven because of my good works, because in heaven my good works don't do me any good. I'm going to heaven because my faith is in Christ alone. And I would like to invite you to do the same thing right now. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You've been an easy, easy crowd to preach to this morning. You've listened well you've engaged, you've done what I've asked of you to do, now I want to ask you not to do what I'm asking you to do, but do what the Lord's asking you to do. You see, Jesus wants you to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It's just as simple as praying a prayer, but not some some memorized citation that comes out of your mouth. No, God is looking for faith deep down in your heart. He wants to know that you truly believe. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, boy, He died for you. He rose again from the dead for you to pay for your sin. Why don't you right where you are pray and ask Jesus to give you eternal life. Repeat this very simple prayer after me. Believe from your heart as you pray. Under your breath, under your breath, repeat this prayer. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin is wrong. I know I deserve to go to hell for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Raising from the dead. My faith is in you and in you alone. Save my soul. In Jesus' name.